He sits down on the curb and I'm running from corner to corner to see if I can see a taxi coming. We'd only been in the country less than 24 hours. I didn't have my geographic bearings at all. Not that I knew where there was a hospital anyway. But in that moment, I wondered, how do you get a body back to the U.S. if you have to? Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, I talk to one storyteller who will tell one of their stories, and then together, we will break it down. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these kinds of stories and the people that craft and tell them, not only to entertain, but to help you craft and tell better more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. New episodes are released on Fridays. We would love if you subscribe to this podcast. If you listen on Apple, rate and review it. I know I say that every single episode. It really does help us out. So thank you for that. This week, I am talking with Maria Morris. Maria lives in Chicago. She has won Moth Story Slams and two moth grand slams she's a unique teller with a unique voice she also left me an amazing testimonial for my class so i'm always grateful for that that's not how she got on the podcast but flattery never hurts for this episode with maria i'm gonna have a conversation with her in the first part then we're gonna hear her story and then we're gonna continue that conversation and break it down let's dive in maria morris Thank you for joining me. And it's good to have you here. Thank you for having me. We've got a new format for the podcast in which we have a storyteller on the show. They tell one of their stories and we break it down together. Yeah. Does that sound fun? I like people to break down my stories because it means we're talking about me. Right. Right. I want to talk as much about you as we possibly can today. Yes, good. Ideally, at least 90% of this conversation is about you. <laughs> that's, that's ideal. That's my ratio. Before we so, hear this story, when did you first craft put it, this thing? Put it this way. The set of events I'm about to describe are what <laughs> I thought was a story, these kind of story that you would hear on the radio. I didn't know anything about interjecting myself into it. I thought it was like an amazing set of events that are fun to share with other people. And I told stories in my life among my circle of friends and coworkers. And one woman I used to work with, she was like, You're, you need a larger audience, honey. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so I didn't really understand like personal stories or, mm-hmm. or revelations or, you know, like until much later in my story crafting process. So this was like the, OS, the original story. Okay, this is the OS. Well, oh, I wanted to tell I wanted to let people know and tell me if I'm wrong here, Maria, that before you even learned quote how to do personal narrative story, you had won grand slams. That's true. Before you even learned how to tell a moth story or any story that you know moth is a brand, you had won a slam and then won a grand slam, presumably against people who had already been schooled in or learned how. So that was a great starting point for you. 
Yeah, I, I think um, obviously my early success made it fun to keep going. And yeah. then once I once I found people like yourself and found out there was an approach or several approaches and there's things that you do and things that you don't do. I'm like, oh, wow. All righty. And now I can improve my stories. Exactly. And so what we're going to do eventually, if I ever stop talking, mm-hmm. is when we, we're going to hear your story. And then we're going to talk about the story. And then as a result of that, people will hear it and maybe figure out ways to help their own stories. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I have a little tease here. I kind of know what's wrong with this story. Oh, save it. Yeah. I'm not telling you right now. Hell no. Oh, so you, because you brought it up. I'm going to ask the audience as they listen to the story. Can you find out what is, at least in Maria's opinion, wrong with the story? Fair? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking now, and then you're going to tell your story whenever you want. All right. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm sound asleep in a hotel room in Prague. Phone rings. It's Stuart, my colleague and mentor, who I traveled there with. He says, help me. I need to go to a hospital. I think I'm going to die. I was like, are you sure? It's probably just heartburn. He said, I know what heartburn is like. This is not that. I was feeling more irritated than sympathetic, but I got dressed and I grabbed my wallet and my check phrase book and I went to his room. Stuart was a brilliant and brash man and an amazing mentor. We traveled everywhere together. He loved to eat and he wasn't shy about telling me about his GI problems. Wherever we were, there was always some sort of issue in that respect. But when I got to his room, he was sweating profusely and he couldn't stand up straight. He was kind of grayish green. He'd thrown up. He did really look like he was going to die. So I help him outside the hotel. We're down on the street. It's completely deserted. He sits down on the curb and I'm running from corner to corner to see if I can see a taxi coming. We'd only been in the country less than 24 hours. I didn't have my geographic bearings at all. Not that I knew where there was a hospital anyway. But in that moment... I wondered, how do you get a body back to the U.S. if you have to? Well, finally, a taxi stopped. The driver didn't speak English. I was ready, though. I looked up the word for emergency room in my phrase book. So I said to him, Behodovost. The driver doesn't react at all. I said it again, this time in my best generic Eastern European accent. Behodovost? Nope. Nothing. I pointed to Stuart slumped against the car door. The driver looks at me, raises his eyebrows, and he goes, Nemochnichi? I'm like, sure, we have one of those. So he takes off, and after about 10 minutes, we pull up in front of this shabby yellow-looking castle with two really tall wooden doors. I'm like, if this is a Nemochnichi, I'll be really surprised. But I paid the driver, and I got out, and I ran around to the other side to help Stuart. And then as the taxi lights were fading in the distance, I realized... I'd left my wallet with all my money and my passport in the back seat. Inside this building were two long perpendicular hallways, each illuminated by just a single incandescent light bulb in the middle. Wicker gurneys and wheelchairs made of PVC pipes lined the walls. I plopped Stuart down in one of the wheelchairs and I pushed him toward a glass booth halfway down one of the hallways. There was a woman there sleeping with her face smushed on the countertop. I rapped on the glass. Nemochnichi. 
She stood up and she looked through the glass at Stuart and then she came out from around the booth, out of the booth around to us and she looks down at Stuart's face and she goes, Passport! I hand him his, I hand her his passport and then this door opens and there's a man about 30 dressed in white with no identifying badge on or anything, no embroidered name, no doctor coat or stethoscope and he gestures for us to enter this exam room and points to the exam table for Stuart to get up on there. Stuart gets up there and starts taking off his clothes. And I'm like, can you just wait a second for me to get out of here? And then feeling the need to explain to this possible doctor and this possible nurse, I'm like, uh, he's not mine. Stuart hands me his wallet and some change and I bolt out of the room. And I realize then I need some backup. I'm in over my head. And I actually found a payphone with a hard copy phone book. And I called the woman, I found her name, and I called the woman who was in charge of us being there. She was our host and she'd done all the logistics to get us there. I told her what was going on and her first reaction is, why am I hearing about this now? Why didn't you call me before you left the hotel? I'm like, uh, um, um, I don't know. Um, she said, we're having a meeting at the Prague Castle at 10 a.m., with the minister. You and Stuart need to be dressing downstairs by 9 a.m. Where is he? Let me talk to him. I was like, Jarena, he's really sick. And she said, where are you? What hospital? I said, it's called Na Francescu. Jarena says, oh my God, they will kill him. I will be there in 15 minutes. I went from high alert to panic. My heart's racing. My ears are ringing. I could hear Stuart wailing from behind this door. This is bad, I think. How do I get this body back to the United States if he doesn't make it? 15 minutes go by, she's not there. 30 minutes go by, and the door opens, and there's Stuart in the wheelchair, shirtless, pants undone with the shoes and stuff on his lap. And he says to me, they're taking me for investigations. I didn't even know what this meant. I didn't even know we were in an actual hospital. I said, are you okay with that? And he shrugged like, what choice do I have? I told him Jarena was on the way. So I'm pacing up and down the hallway, singing Reasons to be Cheerful by Ann Dury, waiting for this woman to arrive, and any news about my friend. A bat flew back and forth along the ceiling of this hallway. This is actual hell, I thought. I am in hell. I look at my watch. It's 4.10 on May 21st. Happens to be my 40th birthday. Happy birthday. So Jarena finally gets there and she talks to people and they say he's, they tell her she he's in surgery for a burst appendix. And I said, are they doing it laparoscopically? Cause I'm somehow thinking Stuart's going to be able to work and do the thing we're there for this conference that we went there for the next couple of days. And they laugh at me and she says, not in this hospital. They don't do laparoscopic surgery. She takes me back to get, dressed at the hotel and everything. We were at the Prague Castle at 10 a.m. for a meeting with the Minister of the Interior for the whole of Czech government. We're escorted to the private library of the former president, Václav Havel. And Jarena says to me, if the minister will allow it, you're going to have to teach this entire conference. But I'm warning you, he thinks women are shit. So this minister comes in, he's kind of sullen, and he, this meeting, which was supposed to be a welcoming event for Stuart and me, 
and the conference we were going to run turns into this interview where through an interpreter, he's asking me, what's your rank? Are you any more than Stuart Mech's secretary? Do you possess any of the same expertise as Stuart? Do you have a degree from a university? I'm sitting there. I'm exhausted. I'm scared. I know I'm in over my head. I want to walk out the door and go straight to the airport. But instead, I just dug deep. Fuck him. I said, we prepared 12 presentations for this conference, and we're going to split them evenly. I am prepared to do all of them. The truth was that Stuart was a workaholic, and he had created 10 of these 12 sessions. I've been coasting a bit in my career, kind of slacking off, and I had only prepared two, knowing that Stuart would pick up the slack. So Doreen and I leave the castle. We go back to the hospital. Stuart had been in surgery for five hours, and he's now in the ICU. They lead me back to visit him, and the window above his bed is open, and there's a bee flying in and out. They said that the surgeon had gone in and found a healthy pink appendix, so he just kept cutting till he found the problem. Old-fashioned exploratory surgery. It was peritonitis. It's a deadly intestinal infection, and Stuart would have died if he hadn't been treated sooner, or any sooner. I taught all 12 sessions of that conference over three days. And at the closing session, the minister actually raised his glass to congratulate me on a job well done. He said, I did a great job, except that I speak too fast for the interpreters. Stuart, for his part, stayed in the hospital for two more weeks. He was cared for by some gorgeous nurses with long legs and tight white skirts. And at a certain point, he's like, you know, Maria, you don't really have to visit me every day. You go out and do stuff. I know you got to deal with your passport and airlines and have some fun. Basically a vacation for you at this point. When they let him out after two weeks, the whole bill at the hospital came to $3,300. Turns out, the way you get a body back to the U.S. is in first class on British Airways. I told him that Stuart had just had surgery and couldn't sit upright, and they took mercy on him and on me because they gave us both front row seats. Stuart's doctor at home said the Czech doctors had done a pretty good job on him. And after that, Stuart vowed to take better care of himself. Nothing like a near-death experience. And me, I had just turned 40, obviously, and the experience forced me to admit I'd been half-assing it, professionally at least. So I embraced the success and the skills I had summoned in Prague, and I made that my personal goal going forward. I wanted to make Stuart proud, and I did. Thank you for sharing that story, for telling that story. Where do you want to start in our conversation about this story? We can't talk about everything because it would be forever. Okay. I need the laughs. And so I want to know, did you like the story? It was entertaining. It was funny. You have no, you never have an issue of being funny. It's sort of part of your DNA, right? You're going to go comedic when you can. Yeah. Story evolution. Like I said, this was really one of my first stories ever. This is what I considered to be a story. I never knew what a small story was or an emotional yeah. story. Emotion. I never went on emotional journeys. <laughs> this was like a set of big events need to be told because, wow, it, that is going to bowl people over when they hear what happened to me. Rompy, rompy. 
rompy, yeah. Big stuff, you're never going to believe it, or it's really funny or really crazy. Yes. I started it with, I'm a city planner, and I work with a fellow named Stuart. And we have expertise in such and such, and we were hired by the Czech government to come teach a conference. That was how it started. You know, talking about not being anywhere near the action, I realized in reworking this, like, no, one, you don't really need to know what we do, right? If you might wonder, but you don't necessarily need to know what our subject matter expertise is in teaching a three-day conference right. overseas for it work. Probably doesn't matter. And if we do, like you did in the story, we do learn what you do. Yeah. When we need to know it. And by that point, we're invested. Yes. We're interested. Yes. And I think this is a great, like, sort of, for lack of a better word, learning point where like, yes, a lot of people start with background and we don't actually care and we're bored. I know. And you just lost this prime. I, I'm doing the thing where I'm talking a lot, but anyway. No, it's okay. Anybody will say story, speech, whatever it was, your first X number of seconds, don't waste that shit. Yeah. Sorry, it I don't. It doesn't matter. It was amazing to me to find out that it didn't matter what we did. Yeah. Like in the telling of the story. Right. I couldn't spot an erroneous detail to save my life when I first started telling the story. And it's your stuff. Of course it feels important. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you care about your job. It's like, of course it matters. And it's like, maybe not as much as you think to us in the beginning. And I got away with with stories that started with a lot of backstory because I'm funny. And I'm just yeah. going to say that. So I was amusing enough with the backstory crap at front loading the backstory to get away with it, like in the moth and stuff. That's how it's evolved. The other way that it's evolved is also part of the, the biggest problem with it. This story has an enormous number of chronological details. And I feel like there might be still too many in there, even though I have subtracted a lot of them. So did you feel like it was hung up on times and dates and numbers that nobody cares about? There's probably some stuff you could cut and it wouldn't hurt the story at all. It would make it a little tighter. It's probably really hard for you to cut because everything's potential for humor. Yeah. A lot of opportunity throughout the story and probably other stories you do, right? For humor. Well, and that that's something you gotta work on is getting rid of those your sacred sentences, the yeah. ones that you've always told. Lean on and ev- they always work. Like it like Jarina when she said, Oh my god, they will kill him. I will be there in 15 minutes. I mean, I can't not say that because she's busting my balls for like not calling her earlier. And then that's her reaction when I say what hospital we're at, you know? I think the detail thing is a really tricky one because you people will get mixed feedback, different kinds of feedback. If you need detail, but then also, but it's only certain kinds of detail. Certain details aren't helping the story, but it's not always clear and obvious what's, advancing the action or revealing character it's like i think it is but i'm not sure and you're gonna get mixed some people will like it and some people won't and that's just that i think for the most part i like the details yeah maybe people mean more like they want emotional detail it was really just a set of events and i had to go back and examine what i was feeling and add that in i was feeling more irritated than sympathetic how do you get a body back to the u.s if you have to I'm like, if this is an emotion that she, I'll be really surprised. And I'm like, can you just wait a second for me to get out of here? And I realized then I need some backup. I'm in over my head. I went from high alert to panic. My heart's racing. My ears are ringing. I could hear Stuart wailing from behind this door. This is bad. 
how do I get this body back to the United States if he doesn't make it? This is actual hell, I thought. I am in hell. I'm sitting there. I'm exhausted. I'm scared. I know I'm in over my head. I want to walk out the door and go straight to the airport. But instead, I just dug deep. Fuck him. And me, I had just turned 40. And the experience forced me to admit I'd been half-assing it. So I embraced the success and the skills I had summoned in Prague. And I made that my personal goal going forward. I wanted to make Stuart proud. Early on in my, my storytelling, I didn't think anyone gave a shit if I was exhausted and overwhelmed and wanted to go to the airport. I thought the interesting part was that this guy was on the verge of death in another country and I didn't know how to get a body back overseas, you know, like the whole transformation, like what, how was I different? And I, and I did, it did affect me and I did improve afterwards, even though I, I faked it till I maked it as it were, my laziness sort of had consequences when we got there because I wasn't really prepared. I, I can almost guarantee that in the first version of the story, mm-hmm. the idea of you getting your shit together was not part of it. Yeah, no. Right? It was just no. this crazy thing happened. Yeah. With my friend, you're never going to believe it. He almost died and it's funny and it's scary. And that was it. And you probably didn't give a lot of thought to like the the ending. It just kind of ended when it ended. Yeah. So I think when we talk about story, we sometimes talk so much about the damn story and the right way to do it, people lose their style. Yes. And that's a, that's a damn shame. Like the um, formula. Yeah. Like move it closer to the end, you know, mm-hmm. start closer to the action or in the action, which actually does to- make total sense. But does it really, it, it can suck the life out of it if everything sort of sounds the same. Yeah. And if you have a particular skill set, and others have told you, it's not just something you believe. Yeah. Right. We all think we're funny. Some of us just aren't. Yeah. Um, you are. Um, you should use that. And maybe because of that skill, you can get away with background or certain kinds of detail that maybe we would say to other people, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah. But maybe Maria can because she's got this thing and it's kind of funny and I stay in the, whatever, you know. I've seen enough feedback of other people's stories and heard enough of my own where it's like, okay, there's a theme here. And I'm making the same mistake over and over. When yeah. was this one first crafted? How long ago? Well, the events took place in May of 20, 2002. So almost 19 years ago. I've been telling this story. I told it a lot out loud, you know, at a party trick. But um, right, right. I wrote it probably in 2017. So four years ago, I told it um, a version of it at a moth in 2019, only two years ago. And didn't win. But it was, you know. It had all the problems we talked about, and it was a five-minute version. Right. Yeah, it was a five-minute version, which is a different animal. As it's evolved, Mm -hmm. all right, you realized a couple of things. Cut that background stuff up in the beginning, which I think a lot of people can benefit from doing. Yeah. At least explore it, right? If you're tied to it and you just won't do it, fine. Try it at least once. And then the other thing we talked about is maybe the detail some people can focus more on is emotional detail. What else? I mean, people want to know, like, what was that like? Yeah. You know, it was like, I was scared and nervous and realizing I had only had myself to rely on to figure this out. And, oh, by the way, he might die. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You know how you make something relatable? Just let us know how you're feeling. Yeah. We probably felt something like that. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter that you're not, you've never been to Prague. Yeah. It has a lot of stakes in there. 
I yeah, mean, let's talk they, about what does work instead of just what doesn't work. Okay, Stuart's life was at risk. True, high stake. I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm a foreigner, you know, not able to communicate and having to solve a problem, a big problem. Mm-hmm. And then there's the personal stakes for me, this professional challenge that I had arrived, you know, unready for. So that was a huge stake. So I guess those are the two big ones, Stuart's life and me pulling it off professionally. And you did a good job of, it wasn't just your colleague. It was somebody who you really, you made it very clear was very important to you in your life. Oh yeah. That wasn't established. Sure. There are stakes. People saw us together. We were like an old married couple. You know, we were like together so much that, and he had such, he had some really funny behaviors and I would have to correct him you know, out in public. And to me, I like being able to describe to other people how I got out of that rut professionally, you know, Mm. Um, I kind of shook and shaken out of it. I didn't really even recognize I was, you know, somewhere between bored and burnout. The job was still interesting, but I'd been doing it for a long time. And then this guy, Stuart came along. He was relatively, he'd only been there for like three years at that point. I've been there for 14 years in this organization. Mm. And he just like literally lapped us all on a daily basis in terms of his output. And rather than rise to the occasion right away, I'm like, yeah, he'll he'll pick up the slack. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some people wouldn't be as honest as that. They would probably not talk about the fact that they were slacking off. You know, that's the other thing I've learned. I've known, I'm, I never understood early on in storytelling. I didn't know why you had to be vulnerable, why that added richness to stories. And then, you know, over time, listening to many other stories that either lack that piece, I realized, oh, it would have been nice to know. How did you? Because it's authentic. I, the one thing, one, one thing that really I just can't stand is the fake vulnerability that I hear sometimes because people are just like, Oh, I've got to be vulnerable. And you're like, that's not vulnerable. That's just what you're doing is just inauthentic. I can feel it. I hate that Mario. I know. I feel like sometimes people create, they need to interject that and they sort of, it's, it, it, it seems fabricated. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't like that. I can, I can kind of spot that. Yeah. I feel like I can spot it. Usually. Yeah. So let's assume people can only take three things at most because that's kind of like a magic number. <laughs> I think from your story, we can get, we could probably get a lot more, but like based on the original version and its various iterations, we don't need background information up front typically. Mm-hmm. We do need stakes and we want vulnerability slash there's some overlap with emotional detail. I think there's some overlap with those two. Man, I went way over my 10% quota. Is there anything else you want to add? For people that need to do it for the laughs and um, aren't comfortable with the heart, that mm-hmm. you can get there if you want to. It took me first two years of telling stories before I even had any feedback to tell me you're not really sharing anything about yourself. You're sharing a set of events. So, and you're funny. Yay. Good for you. That's not... That's not what we're doing. <laughs> so you mix it in over time. Yeah, and I did. I don't have to. And and I think that the, the during this last year, I've gotten even more used to it because I've had to get used to there being no 
audience feedback. Everyone's had to get used to that, but, and then you can tell serious stories and not wonder why people aren't laughing. <laughs> All right. Before we go, what is your one word for age 10? Uh, gawky. 20. Badass. 30. Anxious. 40. Well, you just heard that 40 in Prague in a shit show. And then we'll, we'll reconnect in a few years and I'll ask you about 50. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if people are listening to this, right? Like I want to check more of the story stuff out, right? They might Google you. They might Google me. Can you point them in direction of one other storyteller that you think they would enjoy, they'd be entertained by, they would learn from? It's not like stand-up comedy or acting where there's like famous people. We don't have that. My first storytelling mentor and friend, Brian Kett, I would recommend him, K-E-T-T. We are um, on a very similar wavelength in terms of story content and our approach. He figured out figured it out well before I did. But yeah, I often run things by him before anyone else sees him. Nice. Brian Cat. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Thanks, Maria. Take care, buddy. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Maria Morris out in Chicago. This Sunday, we have an open mic called the Mental Health Happyish Hour. Next week, another beginner's class starts. And the following Sunday, another 99-second story slam. Would love to see your face. That's all for episode number 22. Boom.